Today's show is sponsored by Talkspace, the online therapy company. For a fraction of the price of traditional therapy, you can pick an experienced, licensed therapist you relate to and feel comfortable with. Each and every therapist has at least a master's degree and has completed over 3,000 hours of supervised work. To match with your perfect therapist, go to Talkspace.com forward slash boom. And to show your support for this podcast, use code boom to get $30 off your first month. That's boom. Talkspace.com slash boom. B-O-O-M. part of the Locked On Podcast Network. My name is Wes Goldberg. I'm the editor at allyoucanheat.com. And with me on the other line, a man of many bylines, it's David Ramil. How you doing, buddy? I'm feeling patriotic, man. It's just, <laughs> it's been a great day. Uh, I'm feeling the Olympic fever finally on the last day of the Olympics. But now, I mean, I've been I'm thoroughly enjoying watching the Olympics. I know a lot of people have, particularly you millennials out there, haven't been watching the Olympics according to NBC Sports. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Uh, just coming off a, a nice win for the U.S. or Serbia for the gold medal in U.S. men's basketball, and it's been particularly inspiring. Yeah, we want to talk about the Olympics. We're going to talk about the NBA schedule, and then later on we're going to get to our Monday mailbag. But let's start right there. I mean, a lot of doubt in the beginning of these Olympics, you know, during the uh, group stages and stuff about whether or not this team could win gold. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have written about what the problem with Team USA was and everything like that, but ended up winning the gold medal by like 50 points or something i mean it was there might have been a little less than 50 but yeah a pretty significant blowout kevin durant was incredible 30 points in the last game and and um really stepped up i thought in that last game and i couldn't help but think how much that was going to carry over to the season i mean kevin durant is a great player regardless but just the way that he was passing with Clay Thompson, the way that Draymond Green was getting all hyped up on the on the sidelines for him. I mean, you really just got a sense that, like, wow, this Warriors team is going to be really dangerous. Yeah, unfortunately so. That seems like they developed quite a bit of uh, chemistry there. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you're right. I mean, it, it was a team that was kind of hastily put together when some of the bigger names dropped out. And so a lot of people criticized if this was a team that was poorly fit together, if, you know, maybe some players didn't really deserve to be there as part of the Olympic, you know, team. And, uh, you know, they, there were some struggles. That's not to take away from the fact that there were some games that were a little difficult. But I think you're right. I think Durant wound up being the the major difference and maybe just an overall sense of apathy. You could see in some of those early games, particularly against France, I think, and maybe even against Australia, I think even when they, they, they barely beat Serbia the yeah. first time they met them in, in, in pool play, there was just like a, a general disinterest there, not really focusing on defense. And you wonder, you know, this team is clearly more talented than any other. And, and you wonder whether or not it's just if that talent trumps everything, ever everything. And you know, it, it did. But there has to be some kind of motivation there. There has to be a little effort, particularly on the defensive end. And we saw that over the last few games over Spain. Uh, and over Serbia in particular, I mean, they were just, they, they crushed them. It, it was just everybody working together in unison. Um, DeAndre Jordan in particular really impressed me. Like his ability to defend and swatch shots, you know, tying it to the Miami Heat a little bit. You wonder whether or not this is a, a future that maybe Hassan Whiteside might be able to play a significant part of a future Olympic team. Do you think there's any possibility of that? I think Hassan Whiteside, Justice Winslow, and Josh Richardson all have a chance to maybe one day, 
Maybe not Josh Richardson, unless Richardson stays on this arc and be, can become an all-star, sure. who knows. But certainly Winslow, you know, with his potential and Whiteside with his all-star potential could become guys that could represent um, America in the Olympics. I, thought, I think that would be really cool. I think Winslow in particular, I mean, if, if we were to throw anybody on the Heat onto this Team USA roster, I think Winslow would have been the best because... He's young, you know, he's eager, he's a really good defender when I thought a lot of guys were kind of focusing on the other end of the court. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that group stages, you talked about the, the apathy that kind of was on the, pervaded this team. The group stages was almost like a preseason, it seemed like. I mean, this is a group yeah. that largely had not played together. Um, you know, so there were going to be chemistry issues. Coach K famously doesn't like to practice that much because he doesn't like to wear these guys out. Um... And he even, and Coach K even said, like, you know, group stage is a group stage, but we have Team USA, like, as long as I've been here, we have a way of stepping it up for the knockout round. Everybody's like, okay, I guess that's your solution is just to be in the knockout round and everybody's going to just, quote, unquote, step up. And it worked. I mean, it did. Coach K, I mean, you know, a lot of times we think that we're smarter than these guys, but we're not. So um, I thought it was really interesting. I did think that one of the things that was bothering me about Team USA in the beginning was how everybody was just trying to be the hero, which sure. is something to be expected when you have just a bunch of all-stars who all think they're the best player on the court. But, you know, on defense, I thought they were gambling for steals too often. They were just trying to get easy points, right? Just steal, fast break, dunk. Like, that right. was basically the game plan. And that really didn't work until Sunday's game in, for the gold medal game. Where you saw guys like Durant and Paul George and Clay Thompson just like getting steals and ducking under the un- to the other side of the court and dunking, and I thought that was the first time where like you know getting in the passing lanes, so the timing was finally right. I thought the chemistry certainly was there. I think yes. everybody was finally willing to say, "All right, KD, take us home." And guys like Draymond Green and Carmelo Anthony hardly saw the floor, even though they're like you know probably the two bigger personalities on the team. I thought like the rotation got cleaner and it did. and the the true star on the team KD was handed over the reins and he and he delivered yeah they they, they pressured the Serbian team quite a bit and yeah. I think uh that attacking defense paid off a little bit more when there was more consistent help defense as well so you know if they had you know given up a pass maybe there was going to be somebody else to get their back and it certainly helped to have a guy like DeAndre Jordan there to to protect the rim, and even Boogie Cousins. I, every time a shot got you know came off the rim, it seemed like he was able to get a hand on it and just like corral it into his massive arms where nobody was going to be able to get at it. So there was a, a definite commitment there to to defend and to rebound more effectively. And and there was also you know to tie it in together, it was also a very nice emotional moment for Carmelo. Clearly, it meant a lot to him and. You know, he's been a part of four different Olympic teams and, you know, three gold and, and unfortunately one bronze back in 2004. But he's seen it from the, the bad times to the good times. And, and he's, he's stuck with this team and, and become the elder statement. And that's such a far cry from the person that we know at the NBA level, you know, where a lot of people criticizing him for taking more money or being a ball hog or a shot hog or whatever. Um, and this is a guy who, who seems to be really emotional when it came to looking back at his Olympic career and how successful it's been and, and the way he's been able to commit to something like that. And that was really a, a nice moment. I think a, a good capper and an overall good game for the U.S. Yeah, you could tell a lot of guys find pride in a lot of places. And for Melo, you know, his NBA career probably hasn't gone the way that he's wanted. You know, clearly hasn't, right? He hasn't right. competed at the level that he probably wants to compete. 
but you could see that he puts a lot of his pride in Team USA basketball, and that was certainly an emotional moment after the game. Um, all right, either way, Team USA got gold. We're all happy. There they go. No problems here. We'll in another four years we'll freak out again. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's get right into the NBA schedule because it's been out for a couple weeks, but we haven't really talked about it. Um, yeah. For the Heat, I, this schedule is a little bit different than last season's uh, in the way that fewer national TV games, uh, fewer back-to-backs, which is good. Uh, let's just kind of run through it and some of the, the key points about the schedule. To me, what stands out is five... I mean, they're, they're technically credited with 13 national TV games, but eight of those are on NBA TV, so those don't really count because I know a lot of people don't get NBA TV. Mm-hmm. Um, they're certainly not as available as ESPN and TNT, where they play on five times. So the Heat are not going to, and that that's not shocking, right? Dwayne Wade, the biggest star on the team, is no longer there. So there's really not that. I don't think there's the national draw to watch the Heat as there were was in you know a very very long time. Right. Even even Chris Bosh, you know, you know the second biggest name, he, he's a question mark as well. So. Relatively unknown names. I mean, not really much of a national draw. I think. And it looked like when you look when you break down the the teams that have the most national games, right? I mean, obviously the Lakers because everybody always wants to watch the Lakers. The Bulls. Still. Yeah, still, man. I mean, it's like they have like thirty four national TV games or something. It's crazy. That's ridiculous. Um, the Bulls, they're going to change those. I think. I think that's yeah. a lot of that was last season with Kobe. This season, I don't think they're going to have that same kind of pull. The Bulls are up there because they got, you know, Dwayne Wade, Rondo, Jimmy Butler. It's Chicago, so they have the huge market. Um, obviously, the Warriors are way up there. The Thunder are still up there. Um, the Celtics have a lot of national TV games. Hmm. The Heat are just, the Heat are with those teams. They're like with the Bobcats and the Pelicans and just like these teams <laughs> that not a lot of people want to watch nationally. Um, yeah. Which is a little unfortunate, but at the same time, it means just a lot of local TV games, which is always good. Yeah, I don't. I don't necessarily have a problem with. It. I think uh, maybe most of our listeners are probably of the NBA League Pass variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they're not, then I understand. Or maybe they're you know local and they they're able to catch the games on uh, Sun Sports. Uh, so I, you know, with Eric Reed and Tony Fiorentino, so not a not a big problem there. Shouts to um, Eric Reed and Tony Fiorentino. <laughs> absolutely, because I'm sure they're listening to our podcast because it's the Ultimate Heat podcast. Yeah. Well, um, but yeah, it's a it's a sign of the times, you know. This is no longer the the big market draw that it was six years ago when the big three got together, and even the mainstay of the team for the past thirteen seasons, Dwayne Wade, is no longer here. So, um, it's it's to be as, expected. As big as a star, I think Whiteside can be, and like a big personality is. The league is trending towards like you know, and well, I'm not trending. It's always pretty much been the case, right, for a long time. The ball handlers are really like the faces, the guys that like draw national TV cameras. Um, yeah, DeAndre Jordan's it. not getting much commercial. He's on the Hoopers. Exactly. I'll give him that. But that, I mean, that's yeah. with the Clippers and all that. Um, and Chris Paul's the star. He's just a supporting character. Yeah, and he has to wear a dress. I, I, to be honest with you, I'm not sure if the trade-off is worth it for Hassan. <laughs> um, the other thing that kind of stands out for the schedule is that the Heat play 15 back-to-backs. They played 17 last season, so that's a you know that's better, right? That's good. But unlike I remember when we were going into last season. A lot, like a lot of the conversation about the schedule had to do with the soft schedule, the soft start right. of the season, right? Like the Heat had to get right. out to a really good start, and if they didn't, they were, they might be screwed. And they did get off to a good start, um, so they took advantage of that soft schedule. 
This is not the case. Uh, it's a little bit more balanced. For my, 14 of Miami's first 25 games are on the road, 11 are at home. So, yeah. you know, it's it's a little bit of a more difficult start to the season. You, you know, I, I always tend to – well, I, I tend to not put too much stock one way or the other in schedules because, you know, as, as Folster would surely say, I'm, I, can, I can practically hear him saying this already. There's 41 at home and 41 away, <laughs> and they've got to win as many as possible. So, I mean, to me, it's very similar. I, I think – for a team like this that maybe hasn't had a lot of time gelling together, although they are doing quite a bit of off-season work together, you know, if you if you see the videos from uh, the American Airlines Arena, it seems like a lot of the players are in town and working out together, which is always a positive. And buying cars but together. It, I did not see that. Josh Richardson and Tyler Johnson are just buying cars together. Richardson got a brand new Jeep. Really? I gotta say, I did not picture Josh Richardson as a Jeep guy, but he went to school in Tennessee, so... He's also a Jorts guy, right? So, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it. Jorts and Jeeps for Josh. Now, I'll tell you this, though. The Heat start their opener season October 26 in Orlando. And you know I'll be there to ask him about the Jeep and the Jorts combo and seeing whether or not it's been paying off for him over the offseason. But, um, yeah, I don't know. It's just I think there's the one thing that you can look at it as positively is if there is a, a favorable schedule one way or the other, it gives this team a little bit more time to gel uh, if there are spaces in between games and things of that sort. So with the less back-to-backs, maybe that'll be a little bit more time for Spolster to kind of make changes and, and get everybody on the same page. And that's always been an important thing for him in particular. And and you look at this team and, and the fact that there's so many different free agents and new players and even younger guys who may have been with the team last year but still need time to grow and develop. And that's the one positive that you could possibly take from the schedule so far. Yeah, I think you're right about that. You know, the two less back-to-back uh, series there that's only going to help Spolstra get as much practice time as possible. I know Spolstra fam- doesn't practice a lot. I mean, NBA coaches don't run a lot of practices for the most part, unless you're like Tom Thibodeau, and I think Doc Rivers still runs quite a few practices. But yeah, Eric Spolstra hasn't for a while. But I think you know logic would say he probably runs a few more practices this season just because this team is younger. You don't have a guy like Dwayne Wade who's ba- like whose success like is almost based entirely around his body conditioning. You know, you have just a bunch of young guys that need to get on the court as much as possible. The other thing they look at when the schedule comes out, this 14 of the first 25 on the road, you're right, like 41 are at home, 41 on the road. I really, that doesn't matter. National TV games are not a big deal to me. I just think it's kind of interesting. Um, I like to look at, like, which stretches are going to be the hardest. And so the Heat have one six-game road, road stretch, mm-hmm. and they have a pair of four-game road stretches and four three-game road trips. But that six-game, it's six games over 10 days from January 3rd to the 13th. And that, to me, is going to be a really tough stretch and going to be something to, to kind of circle on the calendar and just and try for the Heat to plan around because the way I have it, they might go two and four as the best-case scenario because they get Phoenix and Sacramento are the two easiest games, but they get those guys back-to-back. So that's tough. Nice. Yeah. Um, then they play the Lakers, and then they and you know Lakers are still we, we don't know how good they're going to be. I mean they got some pieces, Luol Deng, Timothy Mozgov. Like they could be better. They're going to be better than they were last season. But the tough ones are the Clippers, the Warriors, of course, and then the Milwaukee Bucks, who always play the Heat really well and are going to be in in it looks like in playoff contention this season. To me, that's best case scenario to enforce. So that's gonna that's something on the calendar. Where it's like, okay, this is something we got to look out for, and when we're covering this 
throughout the season, that's going to be something that we start talking more when it, when we're getting to it. You know, if the if the Heat are in a slump going into that, that's going to really hurt. Absolutely. Um, are you are you at all annoyed, or what are your feelings on the Heat not getting a Christmas Day game for the first time since two thousand and eight? <laughs> It's always been, you know, personally something that I've enjoyed because it's just part of my Christmas Day tradition. Um, and it's something I've always gone Cazola's Pizza. If you want to contact us for local sponsorship, we'd be more than open to doing something oh, because absolutely. you know they they are they are the best pizza joint in South Florida, and I make it my Christmas Day tradition to get a Cazola's Pizza and and watch Heat basketball with the family. So that's all. That's something that's going to suck for me personally, but. I can't. I can't say I don't expect a move. I mean, I'm sure there are other teams. There are probably eight other teams that national audiences would want to see over the Heat. That's not to say that the Heat won't be interesting, though. I just think at this point in time, you're not sure Chris Bosh is going to be available. You don't know how this team is going to mesh. It could be a very fun and exciting team, particularly if Bosh comes back. They could change. They could look around and say, you know what, we we screwed up. We should have put more national television games with the Heat on because it's going to be a really good lineup, et cetera. But at this point in time, no one knows for certain. Yeah, yeah, Boston, New York, the Warriors, Cleveland, Chicago, San Antonio, Minnesota, Oklahoma City, the Clippers, and the Lakers all playing on Christmas this year. All of them. You know, even Minnesota, right? With that young... That's an interesting one. Carl Anthony Towns, Andrew Wiggins, who you just wrote about on today's Fast Break. I did. Um, It was a good post. Uh, Thank you. You're welcome. I mean, that young squad has star potential. And Tom Thibodeau's there, right? And, you know, he's one of the few coaches in the NBA who could make a difference, who really make a difference. And... And the Thunder, even though Durant's gone, still have Russell Westbrook, and the Westbrook show is going to be something to watch all season. So, mm-hmm. it make to me, I have no argument. You know, it's like okay, I get it. Like those those ten teams deserve to play, and, and the Heat are probably not. You know, the team that need doesn't have the star power right now that needs to play. They will play on New Year's Day. They'll play Detroit, which will be kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's it is what it is. There's still 82 games, and look, I mean, a lot of fans, more casual ones, probably not the ones listening to this podcast may not even care uh, a lot of people tend to think that the nba season starts on christmas day when football season is winding down a little bit and gearing towards the playoffs you know a lot of people don't really even watch the regular season or dismiss it altogether but for for us and for a lot more diehard fans we're still going to watch all 82 games of the heat we're still going to watch 82 games from a whole bunch of different teams as well and and i think it's just still going to be a, a very exciting season and i'm not too worried about the schedule maybe i'm uh, uh, in the minority in that sense but uh, I'm still looking forward to what this team can put together. And we haven't even talked about Dwayne Wade's return. I mean, it's going to be November 10th. I mean, that's going to be a very emotional moment when it the is. Bulls visit Miami. And um, it's going to be early. They're going to get it out of the way early in the season. That's one of the national TV games, go, of course, right? That's going to be on TNT. So I'm excited that it's on TNT and not ESPN just because I think, you know, having, having Barkley available for that should be at least <laughs> interesting, get a, a few sound bites out of that. Um but I'm pretty sure that's going to be a, a day on the calendar where you can make sure that you have a, a, a thing of tissues in the house. What, what, what can the team do? Should we even bother looking into it? What, what is it at a point where they can make a video tribute yet? Yes. I think, I think the video tribute's going to happen. I okay. think you're going to have you know Alonzo Mourning, Pat Riley getting on the court to hug Dwayne Wade. I think it's just going to be how many tearjerker moments can we get? I mean, I think you'll see our boys Eric and Tony getting on the court. You'll get pictures of them. You know, sharing a moment with Dwayne Wade too. They have a very good relationship with him. I think it's it's going to be tough. I think it's. You think tough. Wade gets emotional about it? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. You think there's a pang of guilt, perhaps? Yes. 
I do think so too. I, I don't, don't know. Part of it. I, I think it. I think it's completely insane to think that he's totally at peace with the decision. Right. Like part of it was, look, I got to go chase the money and I totally get that. And, 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 you know, the opportunity to play for Chicago, maybe he's overselling it a little bit in the offseason. But I mean, it is a, an interesting one, if nothing else, just because of the, the hometown connection. But I think there's regret on both parts. The other games that I'm looking forward to, and I just want to kind of scoot by this really quick and we can get into the mailbag. Um, sure. It's kind of cool that the Heat will play the Grizzlies. And Dave Fisdale will make his return. I mean, this is the first we we coined it on this show, the Spoaching Tree. Eric Spoelstra's Coaching Tree is finally starting to branch out, and it's cool that Fisdale, who's been such a great and loyal assistant, and has had job offers in the past, right? But he never wanted right. to pass up until he found the right opportunity. With Miami not being as good, with the Grizzlies being on the rise, and being consistently one of the better franchises in the NBA right now, Fisdale thought that now was the time to go get his job. And he's, now he's the coach of the Grizzlies, and that'll be interesting. Um, the Heat and the Grizzlies play back-to-back games on November 25th and November 26th. Um, a home and home? Uh, away for the first game, and then they, they both travel right. probably on the same plane. Yeah, that's a home and home series. I didn't know that they did that with teams so far away. I know they've done that with like teams like Orlando that are so yeah. reasonably close, but very, I didn't know that they did something. Yeah. It's a Friday and Saturday, too, so it'll be cool. Interesting. Yeah, Wait, when's cool. is the Saturday game in Miami? It is. That's the second. Oh, one. that's yeah. that's a little treat for the players. They'll come down to Miami. It's better. You can go. Th- you can go there on Thursday before the game in Memphis. Load up on barbecue. Play that next day on Friday. But on Saturday after that game, especially with a back to back, you're going out to South Beach. So, yeah, <laughs> ladies, look out. You know, there's going to be quite a few Heat players or and, and Memphis players uh, going around South Beach on Saturday night. That's for sure. Chris Anderson's not on the. Uh... Grizzlies still, right? Where did he go? No, he signed with Cleveland. Don't you remember? Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. I need it. But that's going to be a good one. That's going to be James Ennis, right? Yes. Yes. He's, uh, he's back, the return of Ennis. I mean, Vince Carter, I think, is still on the roster. Or is he retired? I can't remember. No, he's, he's – I think he's still on the roster. I think he is. You know, he, we, saw him at, we saw him at uh, Summer League. We should have asked. But, yeah, I think he's, yeah, he's, he's still there. Um, that's a good, Chandler Parsons in my. That's a really good team. I know. I know Ch- Parsons was high on your list of potential free agents yeah. there, and I think he's going to make them a really exciting team. I'm curious to see what Fizzle can do, but look, they're getting Marcus Saul back. That's yeah. that's such a huge boost. Mike Conley resigned. Resigned. You know, Zebo's back and healthy. They unloaded it's Jeff good, Green in the trade be a good last team year. For Fizdale, right? So it'll be exciting. Absolutely. I think – look, he's going to go in there and probably – like they do every season barring any major injuries. Even last year when they were beset by injuries and they were stringing out mm-hmm. like a team of scrubs and Vince Carter. I mean and, and, and Chris Anderson hobbling around on his last leg. Um, you know, they, they still won 40-something games. I think Fizdale's going to go in there and win 50 games at the very least in his first year ever as a head coach. I'm with you. All right, let's jump into the mailbag here. Um, yes. As always, thanks to all of our listeners who send questions either via Twitter or via email. Thank you so much for listening and for sending us questions. Absolutely. All right, first question comes from Marcus Bonaparte. Great name. Great name. Um, <laughs> Marcus writes, Steve Nash wasn't seen as an MVP or a Hall of Fame player until he played with what was a very fast and versatile Suns team with Amari Stoudemire. With a healthy Chris Bosh, could Goran Dragic have a similar two to four year stint? Maybe not MVP, but at an All Star level or an All NBA level. Um, it's an interesting, interesting question. question. It's yeah. it, it's you know the Nash and Dragic comparison has been made often. I think in part because they're both they're both white. I mean Dragic is European, but whatever. And 
and they both play for the Suns, and they both have a, like Dragic clearly models his game after Steve Nash. He does a lot of the same stuff. Um, he tries to get guys involved. He's trying to be he's he's uh, largely an efficient player. He has that little Steve Nash cut under the basket, roll out and find right. a guy type move. Um, what well, what do you think? Um, you know that seven seconds or less team yeah. holds such a special part in, in so many people's hearts because it was just so much fun to watch since they were so electrifying and you know the way they could score nash in particular was was brilliant at leading that team and and they just changed a lot of how offenses are run and and they they really did revolutionize the game and, and you know you have to attribute that to mike d'antoni and his staff and, and and the personnel that they had there but having said that Unfortunately, they didn't achieve any kind of real lasting success. I mean, they didn't win a title. Um, their defense was poor, to say the least, because they didn't really focus on that, because they just thought they could outrun you and outshoot you. And having said that, the personnel and the coaching staff was a perfect fit that probably can't be duplicated by Miami. Um, you know, I was looking through the numbers there, and Phoenix as a team shot a blistering 40 percent i mean in 2005 2006 i mean i didn't look at too many other seasons but that one in particular where they made the western conference finals and lost to the lakers i believe um they were a really damn good team um and, and like i said shooting 40 percent um raja bell a perfect three and d type player hoisted 446 three-point attempts that was more than double almost any heat player this past season and to looking at the heat last year we shot as a team just 33.6 percent the the person to lead the team in three-point attempts if i'm looking at this correctly was gerald green who had 263 point attempts that's not the guy you want leading the team in three-pointers i mean uh, it was a, a pretty well distributed as far as the the three-point attempts on the heat roster but this roster, the, the one that we have this current season coming up, is not one built to be that kind of seven seconds or less type offense. You've got uh, a player, Hassan Whiteside, that you've committed such a huge, significant amount of money to. And he's going to be, if anything, a back-to-the-basket player. It's a team that needs to be able to pass often and well. And Whiteside is not that kind of player. Uh, if Whiteside wasn't there and you move Bosch in the center position the way he was during the Big Three era, then maybe you can make that argument. But even Bosch tends to hold the ball a little bit at the elbow. He slows the pace down a little bit. He's a, he's a willing and able passer. He just is a one that he's not one to do it as frequently as he possibly could. Maybe if you change the whole offense around and make it that kind of seven seconds or left type offense, maybe he would be a little bit more frequent a passer. But that's just not the case. That's not the strength of his game. Um, and then you just lack the shooting from everywhere else. You know, Justice Winslow is definitely not a shooter. You know, Josh Richardson is still coming to his own. You don't know where you're going to get from him. And the man himself, Goran Dragic, is if you're going to compare him to Nash, he's just a very poor shadow of that player that Nash was. Nash was a historically good shooter yeah, that's not from three point range. I don't think, right? Like, no, absolutely not. Dragic Hall of Fame player. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're significant Dragic fans here yeah. in comparison to most or in contrast to most Heat fans that are willing to bash him for his contract or the trade or whatever, you know, whatever have you. But, you know, Nash was such a great, great player. That season that I was talking about, he shot 44 percent, you know, 43.9 percent. That's amazing. And, and, and again, on, on 342 three-pointer attempts, that, that kind of shooting 
Um, and, and that's just you don't see that in, in today's league from anybody other than Steph Curry, perhaps maybe a guy like Kawhi who was right up there, Clay Thompson, et cetera. But but that team was so good at shooting and they were so perfectly built that unfortunately this Miami team just can't do it. And, and it's I don't just think not that's somehow. necessarily a knock on the Heat. I mean, those like you're saying, those Phoenix games are historically great. Like just right. like they didn't win a championship, but they were historically very, very good and so strong and, and influential. Yeah, I don't think I think the big albatross is Whiteside, and that's not, you know, Whiteside. I think is is obviously a very good player, but he's not the kind of guy that's going to be able to play within that kind of system. I think just a couple things that I did find interesting that I wanted to point out. Steve Nash was thirty when he re-signed with Phoenix and started right. that that period of his that stretch that like four season stretch where he's just unbelievable. Right. Um, four straight All Star games really made his Hall of Fame case those seasons. Uh, achieved great success with the Suns. Dragic is 30 now, so that's worth something, I guess. I don't know. Um, the the thing I wanted to hone in on was the the combination of Chris Bosh and Goran Dragic because you remember when the Heat traded for Goran Dragic, we were very we didn't know about Chris Bosh's blood clots then. Right. Um, well, it was just a few hours after that we found out, but in the moment, it was like, wow, this is a perfect combination. Chris Bosh and Goran Dragic. I mean, this is an, it's a natural as a fit as you can find, right? Just a, a stretch five or, or stretch four with Chris Bosh playing with a guy like Goran Dragic who likes to get guys involved, who likes to cut to the basket, who likes to play a fast-paced game. It was just a, a very, very natural, smooth fit that it seemed like. Since, since the trade, they have played only in 44 games together for a total of 990 minutes. They haven't even played 1,000 minutes together. I mean, the sample size of those two is so small, but even la- even in those 44 games, that they have a net rating of 4.1 points, so they're outscoring opponents, those two, by 4.1 points, which is... It's a small sample size, and that's happened with the starting lineup mostly, mm-hmm. but it's not a negative net rating. Like, it obviously works to a degree, which is, which is good. Um, so I just thought those things were a little interesting, but overall... Drag, to expect anything like that is not going to be good for Heat fans. It's just going to make the expectations too high. Mm-hmm. You're already, you know, Heat fans are already largely disappointed with what Dragic has produced in his time in Miami. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't think those expectations are healthy. And I think that, honestly, I don't know if I, the, the Chris Bosch, Gordon Dragic thing never really seemed to work and meet the eye test uh, the way right. that we expected it to. I think Dragic is going to have to get is going to have to focus on getting guys like Hassan Whiteside more involved as a pick-and-roll partner and guys like Justice Winslow more involved and getting Josh Richardson his shots and everything like that. So overall, um, but that's that's not to say that Goran Dragic can't be an all-star player. He could be one of the Eastern all-stars at point guard. I do think that that could be possible. I believe you wrote about the Heat, or maybe you just commented on it, kind of developing a more, and maybe the Olympics was uh, an impetus for this, but kind of developing a more European style, more fast-paced level of play. I, I think you mentioned something about this or maybe wrote, written about it? Um, no, I, I, I think we've talked about it maybe off. Okay, have we? okay. I, I just wasn't sure if by more European, did you mean more along that same lines, is that kind of fast-paced, seven yeah. seconds or less offense? Okay. And a little bit, All yeah, right. spaced out, you know, trying to swing sure. the ball from one side. That to me is what, you know, it's not necessarily taking shots really quick, but... Swing, right. Like what the Spurs do, swinging the ball from one side of the court to the other, to me is like right. 
that's what European basketball is to me. Like, and, and, you know, the, the, again, the personnel there, I mean, sure. to have a guy like, you know, Raja Bell who could, you know, defend in the perimeter and then pull up for a three-pointer, that would be ideal. That's Josh not something that we have. can be something like that. He could possibly, that. possibly. Um, yeah, I, I could see that kind of developing at some point. But I mean, they had others. You know, they had Williams they had James Jones. Winslow could facilitate. Um, Bosch can facilitate when he's healthy. The and one that, guy that's yeah not duplicated on the Heat roster, and I think you know he doesn't get nearly enough credit. Um, was former Heat player John uh, Marion. Yeah. I mean, the Matrix. That, that guy was so versatile. Um, and maybe that's part of the problem is that at that point in time, I think a lot of people outside, maybe on the periphery, didn't really know how to appreciate a guy like that because he was so much a tweener. He was, you know, I think six seven, six eight, but or maybe six nine. But it was like a small, kind of wide shouldered and angular kind of looking player. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't built like a Carl Malone, nor was he small like a, a Scottie Pippen. You know, it, it just kind of fit into so many different places, and you can't really figure out how to how to appreciate somebody like that. But looking back, he was a prototypical player at that point in time, and he fit perfectly in that offense. And unfortunately, I don't think Justice Winslow is that type of player just yet. And he's, it's likely that he'll never be that type of player. Yeah, I mean, if, if this team was ever going to play like those Suns, it, the windows don't really quite match up. I mean, Dragic is sure. 30 years old, and maybe maybe Winslow can become Sean Marion one day, but it's not going to be for a few years. And by then, Dragic won't be 30 anymore. So, um, All right, let's Good move question, on. though. Good, very, very good question. Um, all right, this question comes from Lee Seaton. If you were general manager and told by Micah Arison that you had to be that you were going to be relieved of your duties if you didn't make the NBA Finals this season, a trade would obviously need to be made. What players in a realistic trade would you seek out, and who would you be willing to part with in order to make a legitimate run at the NBA Finals? This is assuming Chris Bosh is 100% healthy, so that's a good caveat to have in there, Lee. So thank you for the question, Lee Seaton. Absolutely. And I wanted to get right into this, because this is, to me is very fun to talk about. But Okay. It's challenging, right? Because I think, you know, Pat Riley doesn't have that many years left, presumably. And right. if this trade that, you know, this hypothetical trade, if it existed where the Heat can make that deal and then go to the NBA Finals, I think that trade is already made, right? If, if you're Pat Riley. Or at least more obvious. Because if there was a trade out there that could be like, okay, let's make it and we have a legitimate shot to, to beat the Cleveland Cavaliers in the Eastern Conference and get to the NBA Finals to lose to the Warriors, we can make this trade right now. Um, I don't know about that because to me, like the, the first thing I'd do if, if the ownership handed me a mandate like that was start printing resumes because there's no chance <laughs> in hell that I'm going <laughs> to... script, David. <laughs> yeah. Um, but having said that, I don't know that... You know that there's that wide a disconnect between uh, Riley and the ownership, where they'd force him to make sure. that kind of all-consuming trade, and and that whether or not it's possible to make it. You know, but we know he Riley, might right, exactly, but we know Riley. He might have a ton of different scenarios that he'd want to explore, but none that are actually feasible. I, I don't know. It's it's or maybe some that are, might be feasible, and they're just not going to answer that phone. So um, there's a, there are a lot to take into place there, but yeah. Did you have any specific targets that you were looking at that might be able to help you on your championship quest? Well, that's what that was the point I was trying to make, right? Is that I don't clearly Mick Harrison's not telling Pat Riley this, right? This sure, of course, you're rebuilding here, but you know, if I do think if this trade existed, that the Heat could call up Team X right now, make a trade, and then they would be 
in real competition with the Cavaliers for best team in the Eastern Conference, I think that trade's already made. You know, if that's a realistic trade, that's something that's tried to be made. I mean, we saw there was there was smoke about a Westbrook trade if he was going to be available. So, right. Um, still, I wanted to try to have some fun with it and try to figure it out. So I got the on the ESPN trade machine. Uh. First of all. <laughs> This is assuming a few things, right? Like in this hypothetical world that's been created. Right. Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, are, and Tyler Johnson are all expendable. And, and Hassan Whiteside. Like all the young guys are expendable because they have, to make it, they have to make the finals right now or my job's on the line. I mean, everybody's expendable when you look at it that way. If, right, if exactly. it's, a, if it, yeah, it's finals or bust, then yeah, I mean, but you do whatever you have to. I don't think that they're available. Like, no. They're not, they're not as available as they are in this hypothetical world. So now suddenly I'm sh- I'm I go from okay if the deal's juicy enough to actually shopping them because I need to go make the finals. Um, What's the move you make? What do you who are you bringing on board to to help get us to the NBA finals? So there's a couple players, three players immediately jumped out to me. <clears throat> okay. Excuse me. Blake Griffin. Oh. He's in a contract year. Right. Basically, because he can opt out. Um, and we all think that he's probably going to opt out. <clears throat> so you got to, this is a guy just a couple years from being basically a top five player in the NBA, one of the best players in the NBA playoffs a few years ago. Um, absolute game changer. He's kind of the guy you have to roll the dice on, right? You're not okay. getting Kevin Durant or Steph Curry or LeBron James in a trade. So you got to get one of these guys oh. that could be, you know, at any point in time a top five player. I think the other guy is Russell Westbrook. He signed the extension, sure. But he signed, he signed the extension largely, I think, because he wanted to hit that that uh, that age Max contract. Yeah. yeah. What if if this Thunder team just goes to complete shit? He could be traded. He could be tradable by the deadline. So maybe you do a Westbrook deal. And the other guy that I like was C.J. McCollum. If just looking for teams that could fit roster uh, um, cap space and and be a realistic trade partner for the Heat, C.J. McCollum is a guy who isn't quite reached his peak but we don't know where that peak is for him so i wonder if you know you buy now on him and then he just blows up for you and it's a it's probably the weakest position on the heat right now at shooting guard so um assuming bosch is 100 percent healthy as we are so right. the first thing i looked at was maybe a hassan whiteside for cj mccollum swap okay they were rumored to be interested in signing him during free agency anyway right i thought yeah. they had uh they, they weren't like they a strong suitor, to. but yeah. Yeah, he was a top priority for them. But he wouldn't right. give them the time of day, basically. He was, there was just no way he was going to go to Portland. Yeah, um, Heat or Dallas, basically. Exactly. So I think if you trade Whiteside for McCollum, that allows White, – Whiteside is a big loss, but Bosch is 100% healthy, so you play him at center and you play Winslow at power forward. And now also you have a very spaced-out team. And now you have a guy like CJ McCollum who could average 25 points a game on a, on a Heat team like that. Is that team good enough to knock off the or get past the Cavaliers and into the finals? It's I think if Bosch is 100% healthy, I think it's got a better shot. I think that's like if you're building a team to play the Cavaliers, Whiteside certainly helps. But I think having a spaced out team that could score with Cleveland is going to be is super important. And CJ McCollum might be like the one guy you can get in a trade or is one of few guys that you can get in a trade that could really elevate the offense. I mean, Dragic and, and McCollum could be a really dynamic backcourt. This might seem like a silly question, but who does Cleveland have at center now that Timothy Mozgov is with the Lakers? Uh, Tristan Thompson. Oh, that's right. Sorry, yeah. How could I forget? But that's the thing, um, right? Like, Mozgov's not there anymore, so they don't have that size. Like, Tristan Thompson is 6'7", you know, maybe? Yeah. Like, right. he's a very small center, so 
you have Whiteside to kind of pull him out. You have Winslow to guard, you know, ostensibly LeBron James, and you have a backcourt that might be able to to put up some points and really score with the with the with the Cavaliers. That might be the best shot that sure. He'd have. The other trade, and then the other trade I was saying was like, I got really crazy on the the trade machine. What if we could get Blake Griffin and CJ McCollum? Hmm. So the Heat would have to trade Justice Winslow, Josh and Josh Richardson to the Clippers. And Hassan Whiteside stay, stays going to the Blazers. The Blazers send Alan Crabb and Mason Plumley to the Clippers. So the Clippers are getting Justice Winslow, Josh Richardson, Alan Crabb, and Plumley. The Heat get McCollum and Blake Griffin. It's an interesting trade. The Clippers only do this right because they think Blake Griffin's walking and they want to load up on young guys, which they do. They get four good young players. That, I mean, that's that's a good trade for the Clippers if they've already decided that Griffin's leaving. And they Who does Portland get? They, Portland gets Whiteside. Portland basically stays, you know, they get Whiteside and they're able to vacate the roster, the, the contract of Alan Crabb that they were kind of forced to sign. Sure. And Mason Plumlee is not that big of a loss because they got Whiteside back. And also the Heat get um, Mba Mute from the Clippers to get the salaries to work. Okay. Mba Mute. And help that he can fill in at small forward because he don't have Justice Winslow anymore. So now you're looking at, uh, at Goran Dragic, CJ McCollum, Luke Mbamute, Blake Griffin, and Chris Bosh, starting five. I was hoping Luke Babbitt would start the small forward position. Okay, we start Luke Babbitt then for spacing. <laughs> it's perfect. Yes. <laughs> Babbitt the rabbit. So, yeah. so that's that's how I, that's how I save my job. Swing for the fences. I, you know, it's interesting that you went to this kind of level of detail because to me, you know, <laughs> it's like, just such this question stupid. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. I think it's an interesting one and it's a great one for the off season, but it's a kind of, you know, huge sweeping type question that's so unrealistic because, you know, obviously it takes so much more than just a deal. But I looked at it from that perspective. Like, is there a deal that could all of a sudden take this team and make them a, a legitimate contender. And to me, I just looked at three specific players that I thought you could acquire. I didn't bother with any kind of trade scenarios or anything like that. I, there's no realism in place here. You just look at, to me, three players, and I think that's LeBron, Steph Curry, and James Harden. I think any one of those guys injected into this team could take us to the finals. And I think, and, you know, to kind of answer the question, um, I think everybody would be tradable. I mean, maybe with the exception of Chris Bosh, if he's 100% healthy. If he's 100% healthy, I think he's probably the one guy that you'd want to keep more than anybody. Maybe maybe Winslow, but I think Winslow, you know, he's attractive as an asset because he's young and he's got potential and you don't know how he'll develop as a potential playmaker. But other than that, everybody pretty much is tradable. And and I think the, the... it would be surprising for a lot of Heat fans to think that we'd be willing to trade away Whiteside when we were so desperate to keep him in free agency and we threw all this money at him. The team did anyway. But I think that's realistic. I think if you can get a healthy Chris Bosh who could play the center the way he did as effectively during the Big Three era, that's certainly a great option. You don't lose much in that sense, especially if he's 100% healthy. So, uh, yeah, I, I'd, I'd welcome a trade for LeBron anytime. Okay. Uh, next question, last question for the mailbag. Jeff Nicholas from Twitter asks, ignoring the other challenges, how much do you think tanking and uncompetitive seasons hinder youth development? It's a good question. Very interesting question. Um, and I think it's a tough one, right? That's really, when you talk about tanking, 
and you look at teams like the 76ers that did it to that extent, and, right. and other teams that maybe didn't do it to that extent, but certainly did tank seasons, you know, logically, it shouldn't really hinder youth development, right? Because you're still practicing, you're still playing 82 games, you know, if anything, you're just, you're giving them a really, really long leash to get, let them be creative and try things, but we have seen that, you know, there could be almost a psychological effect on the team if you, to, if you degree to such a, if, if you tank to such a large degree where there's just like this losing culture sets in and it's Absolutely. something that you can't break out of no matter what you do. Unless right. you make gl- sweeping changes to your team altogether, your front office. So, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that's exactly the point. I think if you're going to tank or, or, or you know, have uncompetitive seasons, I think the way to do it is to do it like Philadelphia, to be honest with you. I, I don't know if I'm necessarily a, a process truther or anything like that at this point, but I think – you have to have a realistic understanding that this is what's going to happen. You know, you're going to be a bad team. You're going to actively tank. And there has to be a consistent message. And that has to come from ownership, from the front office, from the coaching staff, and the players have to understand it. You know, they're all going to get a chance to prove themselves. They're all going to chance to, you know, earn some playing time and maybe parlay that into a more lucrative contract down the line. But for now, we're looking to be very bad, very bad, as far as our record is concerned. And I think, you know, they can embrace that. I think as players, they can embrace that. The problem is when you get another franchise, say, oh, I don't know, Sacramento, where it's much more dysfunctional and you have a player like DeMarcus Cousins, who's probably an all-world level talent, but all he's known is inconsistency, losing a, a, a very, very nebulous message. You never know what's going to happen from one day to the next. You've got ownership changes you've got you know uh president changes you got front office hirings and firings you've got coaches in and out the door every other year that kind of that kind of inconsistency breeds a very very bad mentality and i think, I think Boogie, that's what he's really been helps. able to overcome that and still play at an all-star level and be considered one of the one of if not the best center in the game right but i mean for a guy like, who's so you know ben mclemore and Nick sure. Stauskas when he was on the Kings, like guys that just didn't have, couldn't break through that. That might right. have been much better on any, on a on a more you know stable organization. I think that's where the issue is. I think it's it's a mental one. I don't think the losing itself, if it's done purposefully, is the problem. I think it's that generally losing comes as a result of really bad messaging, really bad communication internally with the team, the coaching. You've got a guy like. Oh God, I'm drawing a blank at, at what the Kings coach, or the former Kings coach, Mike Malone. No, nope. oh, George Carl. Uh, George Carl. Sorry, yeah, <laughs> a guy that the players had to meet and openly say we want him fired, and we're yeah. going behind the coach's back. To, I mean, that's that's a venomous situation. That's that's hateful. You don't you don't want to be part of that working environment. And you know, you and I were talking about it before we jumped on the podcast. But you know, the working environment, the fact that this is a job for these people. I mean, everybody who has a job can relate to this. You want to go to a work environment where you're nurtured and supported and everything like that. Or even if things are bad, if it's a shitty job, at least you know it's a shitty job, but you're getting something out of it, either in this case playing time or money down the line, et cetera. But to, to go into a workplace like that where you don't know what's going to happen, where your coach is, is sabotaging your efforts, where the front office might turn over from one day to the next – there's no way for that you can possibly grow from that. And that's where the problem you, really lies. I think if you do maybe it, it, in moderation, like the Warriors way back when tanked and they got Curry, right? Sure. I mean, the Celtics. Spurs. Even, 
The Spurs did it for Tim Duncan. The Spurs did it for Tim Duncan. I think like a one-season tank. I mean, even the Heat, to a degree, they didn't purposely do it. But they ended up getting Justice Winslow after LeBron left. And I think that, and that that's something. And then Josh Richardson, of course, in the second round. But Winslow in the lottery really gave the Heat a, a real asset and a player to build with, you know. And that's that's something that they wouldn't have had. I mean, we, we were debating way back then, should the Heat even go for the playoffs? Because they would right. lose their draft pick altogether if they made the playoffs. And I think you and I even back then said, no, we got we to gotta get to the playoffs. It's such a weird thing to go to just say, let's just tank the season, even though in our heart of hearts we probably knew it was better for us to tank and get a player. But it's just so hard to do that. I think, but if you, but in like, you know, hindsight being the way it is, certainly the Heat are better off now, especially with Wade leaving and everything like that, that they have somebody like Justice Winslow to, to really hang their hat on and, and kind of say, okay, this is the future of the team here. Um, I think just for the sake of talking about it more realistically, if the Heat were to take tank this season and get a lottery pick, get maybe even a top five pick, and get like a legitimate dynamic scorer or somebody with that kind of potential, that could really reinvigorate this team. And I think down the line, tanking wouldn't have a, a bad effect. Get, in fact, it would have the, it would have a very good effect on this team. And I think you could still develop Winslow and Josh Richardson, just give him the long leashes to experiment, let Winslow shoot as much as he wants until that jump shot's fixed, you know, type of thing. Um, but I think that if they were to run like a Philadelphia 76ers type tank job with the team already in place the way it is, that could have a really bad effect because where the 76ers were basically an NBA tryout program, these guys are already NBA players that want to succeed. And had a taste of success even last year in the playoffs after going getting to game seven of the second round of the playoffs. So I think that it, it all it's it's very dependent on the situation. I think you could get away with maybe tanking one year. You know, if the Heat were to legitimately tank this season, maybe just trade Goran Dragic midseason or whatever and tank, I don't think that would have a really negative effect specifically on Winslow and Richardson and Tyler Johnson and those guys. But I think it's different for every situation. Yeah. I agree. All it's right. an interesting question, though. I mean, yeah. and uh, yeah, it's it's a very thoughtful one because you see so many teams that are entering rebuilds like Miami's potentially, and uh, you wonder whether or not you know tanking is the right opportunity or the right choice, and that that breeds a lot of uh, you know questions and about you know how you approach player development, things of that sort. So it's it's a it's a worthy discussion, I think, and I appreciate the question. I think it's one we need to explore on a future podcast. We Possibly. just need to answer that question. Should the Heat tank? I, I think well, we're running out of time on this one, but I think it's something that we can certainly explore later on. Yeah, I agree. But we'll have to see for the season how it you know pans out. If we wind up making the finals, you know, then uh, <laughs> apparently Riley's done his job, and I don't have to print out resumes anymore. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Well, that's all we got for today. And whether you're listening on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, thank you for listening. You can get in touch with the show on Twitter at LockedOnHeat or by email where you can send us mailback questions or just say hi. That's LockedOnHeat at gmail.com. Thanks for joining me, David. You got it, Wes. We'll catch you next time. Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save 
So stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details.